Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. Why don't we start talking about it? Okay, um, my name is Caroline Young. That's my given name. My Dharma name is Savannah Amata Yasa. Um, I am the spiritual director of a Buddhist group called Anatta Sati Maga. And uh, within that, uh, within the Sangha, it's a Buddhist church. And so um, we have two projects that I started. One is the Center for End of Life Transitions, which I'm the director, and uh, Carolina Memorial Sanctuary, um, which I'm the founder and director of. Um, and so those are my um, roles uh, professionally, I guess. And um, I am a, an ordained Buddhist minister, teacher, and a monastic. So awesome. What brought you to um, all of this? Like, how did it all happen that you are now doing these things? Oh, gosh. Um, Is that too big of a question? <laughs> very big question. Um, well, I'll start with the Buddhism, I guess. So when I was, um, I was born in 1955. So in the early 70s, I was raised uh, uh to go to church every Sunday, Presbyterian church. And, um, and then the seventies, I guess I was a junior in high school. And we can I stop church. you? Are you, are you from this? Where are you from? Where did you Jacksonville, grow Florida? Okay. Thanks. So, um, we were in church and this was during integration in Florida and South, I guess all over the country perhaps. But anyway, we were sitting in church and, um, uh, four people came in, three of them were black and about 30 of the congregation got up and left. Hmm. And I thought, what, what just happened? I, it was so naive about it. And I thought, well, why would they leave? And so, you know, and did you I'm put just, it together? Did, or, I mean, were you just, well, like yeah, I finally put it together. I thought, well, this, I don't believe in this. And so I told my parents I wasn't going back because I didn't believe in that. And so, but what I, what I liked about religion um i saw in my parents that it strengthened their relationship and so and they had they had a faith or practice that held them and so from then on i was searching for something i knew it wasn't going to be christianity because i i just couldn't believe that happened and so yeah. um i was searching and i searched in many different ways um and so finally, I was working at Nantahale Outdoor Center. I was 28, 29, 30. This was in uh, Western North Carolina. And um, it's a wrap. How did you end up there? Well, I was living in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, I was working at the University of Florida at the teaching hospital. I had never gone to college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I felt like it would be a waste of money. And I liked making money. And so I decided to just go to work. And so I finally decided well, while I was there that I was going to go into nursing. I wanted to be an, an OR nurse. I didn't want to take care of sick people. But I wanted to. I liked, I liked the body. 
and yeah. um, thought I could do well with um, as an OR nurse. So I decided to go take a break and come up to Nantahala Outdoor Center and work for a summer and then go back and go to school at University of Florida. And I never went back. And so I ended up at um, staying there and um, lived in the area for 15 years. And um, while I was in the area, a um, little town called Almond, I uh, became a hairdresser because I was cutting hair for the people who worked at Nanahale Outdoor Center. And, um, and then a friend and I bought a, an old building in Bryson City and started a health food store and um, cool. rented out a shop next to it. It was a two-storefront, two, two two-story old building right on the river, but it failed because it was too early for a health food store. And I was going to say, wow, good for you. That's pretty. And, um, so, and then uh, I ended up going to work. Um, uh, I sold my salon in Bryson City and went to work for the Aveda distributor, their natural product company in, in Louisiana. And uh, from there, I went to work for another distributor in the UK and helped set up two salons and one in London and one in Leeds. And then came back to Asheville. And um, while I was in uh, London, I had become a Buddhist. Um, before I went to London, before I went to the UK, I had become a Buddhist. And so um, when I got back to Asheville after that all stopped, um, my teacher, Nancy Spence, um, I became much more involved in the Sangha and she asked oh, me. I wanted I, to ask, so how does one become a Buddhist? Like that doesn't just happen. No, it doesn't just happen. So oh, I'd uh, like to know that story. How okay, do you, so, how, how did you become a Buddhist? So the way it works is, um, you take, you take refuge is what's called refuge. And so in the three jewels and the three jewels are the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. And then there's a ceremony that you take, that you do to, to take the, to accept the three jewels and to take what's called the precepts. There are three uh, pure and 10 great precepts that you um, take, that you um, vow to train yourself to abide by. And um, then there's the eightfold path that you use as a model for a way to be in the world. And so that's a ceremony that one takes. And I did that with a different teacher. Um, and then when my current teacher said she was going to start being a teacher, I asked her if she would be my teacher. Um, so in Buddhism, you ask someone three times to express mm -hmm. your, to, so that you're very sincere about what you're asking for. So um, I asked her three times and she said, yes. And so um, then um, she then she asked me to learn how to take care of a deceased body so that I could be of benefit to our um, assist our sangha members. Sangha is the community. Mm -hmm. uh, be like members, a con congregation. Like or... a congregation yeah. mm -hmm. uh, to our sangha members when they died, so that their body's not disturbed. It's based on the Buddhist belief that um, Buddhist understanding about death is that it can take up to three days for what is what we call karma and conditioning to leave the body what some people might call a soul buddhism doesn't recognize a soul um in buddhism it's the 
our karma and our conditioning that we've created or inherited from other lives that that travels after the last breath. And so after the last gross breath, the one that registers death, there's a finer breath that leaves, that ends that transition of what's happening within the physical body. And then the journey begins for 49 days in the Bardo. And so my teacher asked me to learn about all of this. And um, so the lineage that I'm part of is a Soto Zen. So Buddhism was started in India and then from from Soto Zen, it went through China and then Japan. And then my teacher's teacher um, was from England. She went to Japan to train and came back to California and that's where my teacher trained with this, her teacher was in California. Um, so I tried to find information about uh, death and dying from a Buddhist perspective from the Zen tradition, but couldn't find anything. So not I, that, not out, that. Um, I found different practices. So then um, I was reading the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and I was reading about the POA practice. The POA practice is the transference of consciousness. So um, when death happens uh, at the moment of death or for the three days afterwards when the body's transitioning, when the conditioning is transitioning out of the body, it's possible to transfer your consciousness to an enlightened space. And there's a, there's a guidance to do for that. So I was reading, I had read all I could find about this POA, uh, the simple version is called essential poem. And I thought there's got to be more to this than I know about. And I was in bed and I thought, well, the Dalai Lama will know. So I said this little prayer to the Dalai Lama and um, that I wanted to know more about POA. How are you? You're, can you spell P- that? P-H-O-W-A, POA. Okay. It means transference of consciousness. Um, and so, who is doing uh, that? If, if the life is gone but still there like is the person or the former person doing this with their conscious consciousness they are yeah so just like you can be aware of your breathing the uh-huh. awareness of the breathing is what is what is traveling spell it one more time i don't know if i got it right p p h o w a okay thank you so I had helped a friend of mine when her daughter was killed in a car accident with bringing her daughter home for a home funeral. And um, now the woman was dying from breast cancer. And um, so her caregivers called me and asked me to come speak with her because she was really agitated. And um, she was sending them on tasks that didn't make any sense. A lot of busy, busy work. Yeah. And um, so I went and talked to her and as soon as I got there, she said, something came to me and it's, it was meant for you. It was sent to me, but I know it's not for me. It's for you. And it was a set of set, it set of CDs that came to her and she had me pick up the CD. She says, take that with you. That is for you. And so then we, uh, she and I talked about um, the agitation and the elements dissolving. And I explained that to her and I said, this is what is happening. And I said, you know, you're going to feel some agitation because you want to put things in order. I said, you just need to breathe through that. But, but 
could because it's just the elements dissolving in your body and you're having these experiences. And so she settled down. So I went out and uh, was getting ready to leave and her caregivers saw this set of CDs in my hand and they said, did she give that to you? And I said, yeah, she said it was for me instead of her. And they told me the story about this woman in Atlanta who was identified as a reincarnate. She's an Atlanta housewife, this reincarnate um, monastic or something or Tolku or somebody from Tibet um, who had tried to introduce this open heart practice centuries ago. And at the time, nobody would hear. Well, the Dalai Lama heard about this person and wanted to meet her well, so in Atlanta. So he made arrangements or his people made arrangements for him to meet her in Atlanta and he couldn't go. But they brought this CD to her and said, this goes to a woman in Asheville, North Carolina. And wow. handed her the CDs. So she gave it to my friend who lives in Alexander, North Carolina. And my friend got it to me. So I go, I left and I go out to the car and it's the POA practice, ah. Dalai Lama, and a set of CDs in English. Oh my goodness. And so then Score. after that, you know, so then after that, <laughs> a Tibetan Lama uh, moved to the United States and he was doing uh, this training called Confidence and Dying, Dying with Confidence. And I took his training and it was the big, powerful POA practice that only trained wow. people can do. So what you do is you practice transferring your consciousness out of your head and then back in again you, to open wow. the font at the top of your head because that's where you want it to go. So um, I participated in that training for quite a while with doing home funerals. Um, and what I found out was that nobody was prepared. And then so uh, another a Dharma brother and I, his name's Frank Starling, he and I developed the Center for End of Life Transition. To put your consciousness in and out of your fontanelle, um, do you think that, does that have anything to do with the monkey mind? No. Okay, it's totally different. Okay. Totally different. So the monkey mind is um, understanding awareness. Just like I, just like I described to you, um, Stepping back and looking at the anxiety, stepping mm -hmm. back and looking at um, that we always have awareness, but it gets overridden by our habituated tendencies. Mm -hmm. the con so, and so that's not the conditioning you're talking about? It is conditioning. Yeah. Conditioning. Okay. Karma. So that, okay. It's the habituated tendencies and things okay. we, we, we either create karma in this life or we brought karma in with us. Right. And it is ripening in this life. So um, just like that, you, you are aware that you can hear my voice. You can hear my voice, correct? Yes. Now you have awareness of hearing the voice. There's the hearing, there's the ear doing its job as the organ. There's my voice as the sound. So the two come together for um, auditory consciousness. All right. That that just happens. There's, it's not good or bad or neutral. It's just happening. But then what'll happen is you'll start to comment on it. You'll hear your mind go. How is that oh. happening? Is what I'm doing. Do you feel that happening? So that is conditioning condition. Conditionally, we're wanting to make, we want to put it in one of three categories. It's either good 
or bad or neutral instead of just letting it be instead of just being Mm -hmm. aware that you're hearing. I'm like, why, how, why, how those are my, um, good or bad, I guess. Yeah. I want to know how everything works. Like, and that's what never stopped. So the, the stepping back is being aware that you're hearing. There's just an awareness of hearing. That is pure awareness. That is an awake state. As soon as the commentary starts, you've lost it. Hmm. So what would you say for someone like me who has sense tends to merge together and I'm always like frightened by it or it's overwhelming and I don't have a judgment ever. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like I'm being infiltrated. Right, right, right. So you have could you ever try heard of working with someone like that. Well, I, I, I haven't, but I think that you, what you could do is try to make, to create an environment that is very safe, not a lot going on. Um, there's no music. You might be sitting outside or wherever you feel less stimulated. Yeah. Right. I do have to spend a lot of time outside because of the overstimulation. Yeah. So sit outside and you might use one sense organ at a time. Maybe it's looking, you know, you're just aware of looking, of seeing. Mm. Okay. The eye organ, the set, the sense object, a tree, you know, you, you have the eye and you see the tree and you focus on one thing. So you see the tree and then you might step closer. Then you see the bark. And then you see moss growing on the tree or or fungus or whatever growing on the tree. And you do it with one organ at a time for a long period of time. Yeah, that sounds really healing. And then you move to the next organ, which might be hearing. And at first you work with, even with visual, you work with- Focus on one (laughs) one sense and and applaud your successes you know do it for a minute do it for 30 seconds I think it's why I like photography because it allows me to focus on oh yeah 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 Yeah, it's very meditative you're doing it without the camera or if you have a hard time doing it without a camera do it with the camera yeah I think it's the, um, the other senses that would be harder for me, like the hearing, especially I'm very, very, very like everything. I, I, I can't like, I think a normal person can have a conversation and there's other conversations at the background or, uh, yard work going on or radio on, or, uh, and I can't, I, I hear them all at the same level. It's like, I can't differentiate what I need to focus on. So that's, you may do it with earphones on. Yeah. Sound, sound block, you know, and, okay. and you hear just what you hear and protect yourself. So you're in nature, you hear birds or the wind. Yeah. You know, and you recognize wind. This is beautiful. Yeah. And the wind might be strong or it might be you're hearing trees or you're hearing limbs or so because then that trains you to kind of do one thing yeah. at a time. Yeah. So and it retrain yourself. It does explain why um, that is where I go to be calm is because I have to just hear one thing, hear the wind and the trees. And yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get in the right environment. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And then way down the line, you open it up 
to just watch what comes through, to observe, not watch, observe, oh, sound. It's a car. Smell, the door's open, I can smell the springtime. You know, so that you're, you've slowed down enough that you know how to discern, discern individual things instead of the bombardment all at once coming in. And spend advice. a month, spend a month with one thing, you know, and then move on to the next sense organ. Yeah. And then there's thoughts and then there's emotions and feelings, body sensations. So you can just go very slowly. I love it. Um, there's a, there's a website called, um, it's Turgar, T-E-R-G-A-R.org. Um, Mingyur Rinpoche, M-I-N-G. Why you, why you are Rinpoche, um, there's a joy of living course and he, it takes you through these processes step-by-step. Nice. Well, thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Well, let's um, get back to other people and not just me. <laughs> so we were talking about, um, I forget where we were in your story of, so that was the uh, reason that you became this because you worked with bodies and you were not afraid of like you stepped through fear, right? That's where you were. I don't know if okay. that. Well, and so then, um, in that, maybe you went past that. I can't remember. <laughs> well, in that period of time, I got married and, uh, in the marriage where I had the two beautiful stepsons and, um, that marriage ended. Um, I got very ill during that period of time. I had uh, adrenal fatigue stage three when it was diagnosed and four is heart attack or stroke. So oh gosh, uh, it uh, wasn't something that my husband at the time was willing to accept. And so the marriage ended. Um, and um, which uh, then I moved back into a house that I had um, that I had rented out. And so I, uh, refurbished the house and decided I didn't want to own the house anymore and asked my teacher if I could start the cemetery. So I sold my house and used the money to start the conservation cemetery that belongs to our, like, um, when you're helping someone who's scared, uh, like, like I was with my dog in the emergency veterinarian clinic, um, mm-hmm. just the overwhelming need for someone to address me with information instead of assuming why I'm scared or what I'm scared about Um, to give me the facts about the situation is very comforting because Mm -hmm. that does calm all those questions down those unknowns. And so I'm thinking like, if you're helping someone who's passing or whose loved one is passing, they just might be comforted to know um, the reality instead of oh, it's going to be okay. Just these vague statements that. Yeah, no, we don't give the vague statements. We give the details. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it comes with compassion. So what, what comes across first is compassion. So there's another practice in Buddhism called Tonglen. T-O-N-G-L-E. Mm-hmm. Right it's speech? Take, no, it's taking and sending. Okay. So, um, so like for your dog, what's your dog's name? Mazzy. M-A-Z-Z-Y. Mazzy. Mazzy, when um, she got ill, when she got bitten and you were fearful about that, 
So had you called me, I would have heard the fear and I would have done this deep breath first for myself to calm, to soothe me. I'm taking in my, my tightness, my stress, my fear, and I'm breathing out ease. So I'm, and we do this naturally pretty much. So you're breathing in first for myself. I'm going to relax myself because I am replacing myself for you. I go to a place of my dog. That's my dog who has the, the, the bite. I call that um, being an empath. Like I actually go yeah. into things. <laughs> yeah. Is it similar? Yeah. Yes. And okay. so I know what that feels like. So now, since I know what that feels like, and I have this sensation within me, there's some fear. I'm going to breathe into that and soften that because I don't want to respond to you with the fear. So I'm mm. breathing in and opening up my heart and um, addressing the fear, addressing whatever it is. I don't even have to name it. I just am breathing in, opening and then I breathe out opening and ease to you. Mm. And then I do that for you. Then I go to you. I breathe in an opening into you. And then I breathe in, breathe out ease to you. Whatever will give you ease. I don't name it because I don't know what will give you ease. Yeah. I think it's the assumptions that, that are, you know, that a lot of medical people do with with good intention, but they're trained to do yeah. it in there. But um, yeah. I'm not giving it a name of grief. Right. I'm not giving it a name of anger or whatever. I don't know what it is. I'm just, right. I'm just breathing and opening so that you can yeah. open to whatever there is. So there's more space mm-hmm. instead of feeling constricted. So in the more space, you can hear what is being said. Mm. So then I breathe ease and I do that as long as I need to do it. And if somebody's really grieving, I just might sit in a corner and just continue to do this, breathe space, breathe space, breathe in oh, whatever so beautiful. is discomfort. But you're not taking it on. It's not like you're taking on the discomfort. You're breathing space. I'm not taking it on from you. Mm. So the Bodhisattva vows are, um, there's four vows. Um, so what you're vowing to do is to not seek liberation or nirvana for yourself and then you're going to go bliss out right like an art might do but you're going to return you're going to keep returning until all beings all sentient beings the worms the crawlies the people the birds the animals all that are liberated um and so the vows are however many sentient beings there are i vow to liberate them all however many dharmas there are the teachings i vow to study them all However many passions arise, I vow to liberate them all. That's our own aversions or desires. Attachments. However, mm-hmm, yeah. However long the path to enlightenment, I vow to travel that path. So there's another thing that is called the bodhicitta aspiration. It's basically uh, what a bodhisattva would vow every day. Um, so it is Bodhi means mind and um, Bodhi Chitta, um, uh, mind, um, a mindful heart, maybe saying that wrong, but um, so that's what Bodhicitta means. And so you do this Bodhicitta every day. So the Bodhicitta aspiration is um, 
May bodhicitta, precious and sublime, arise where it has not yet come to be. And where it has arisen, may it not decline, but grow and flourish ever more and more. And now, as long as space endures, as long as living beings, living beings remain, may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. So it's not to say that, that um, a bodhisattva wouldn't become enlightened. The goal is to become enlightened for the benefit of all beings. So um, because as a Buddha, the capacity to help all living beings is greater than if I'm Caroline walking around the world having just taken the Bodhisattva vow. So because I have um, dissolved my aversions and my desires and attachments, there's less of Caroline here and more of the Bodhisattva attitude there. So I would be able to help, one would be able to help more sentient beings. But there's always, but the Caroline, the Savannah Amata has to dissolve those, you know, there's yeah. no, there's nobody who's going to get a wand and tap me and they're gone. I have to do it myself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm trying to understand. So if there's no concept of soul, is it just the consciousness that's retaining the awareness is that what you're referring to when you talk about the, the time in the bardot consciousness and karma okay. so all the karma we've accumulated in past lives is still out there so yeah. and we've also created karma in this life it could be good meritorious karma or demeritorious karma yeah. so at some point it's going to ripen both kinds will ripen so in this life, we kind of chose to bring certain karmas into this life to work on, to, to heal. But we've also at the same time created more karma. So um, in the Bardo, that it's a projection. As soon as I've labeled something, I'm projecting it. It's just made up. Just like in the Bardo, the things he's seeing are projections of his mind. They're not real. So what is the mind, the consciousness? The mind is, um, depends on which mind. Um, there's a small mind and there's a great mind. So the thinking mind always thinks that's the job of the thinking mind. Even after death? Well, we don't have the brain anymore, but we do have consciousness. Right. So, I'm trying to ask, is the brain, I mean, is the mind what you're saying is consciousness or are they different? Um, it's not. It's the mind, it's called the mind, but it is not the brain. And is the mind consciousness though? The mind is, can be consciousness. Yes. Is consciousness just awareness? Um, is consciousness just awareness? I would say yes. It's We're very, to... very dense here. It's trying, it's like trying to split hairs. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm just trying to define consciousness. Well, no big yeah, deal. I know. 
I know. And it's hard. It's hard. So just like, like what I, happens after we die, where does the consciousness just like go? I directed you, just like I directed you to, um, um, see my face in the screen, your eyes mm-hmm. are seeing my, there's conscious, there's, there's what's called sense consciousness okay. comes together. The eye organ, the um, object come together to create sense consciousness. Right. Your eye is conscious of the object. Okay. Um, and then you can be aware of that. Okay. So it's like a different layer. It's something different. Yeah. The eye is yeah. doing it. The object is here. The eye is doing the thing since consciousness. The and eye then is a high, there's a higher level that's aware yeah. of that happening. Awareness yeah. of that. Yes. So consciousness, I, I'm saying now in this description, the awareness is behind all that. Yeah. Just like that the thoughts sense. in your mind. I am aware that I feel grief. I am aware that I feel guilt. There's an awareness of clothing on my skin. There's an awareness of. So the training is to become aware, aware that your mind is projecting these things. And then there's the brain that constantly thinks that you can't change. That's just the nature of brain. So when Um, the brain dies, what is left? Awareness and karma, awareness, consciousness, and karma. So there's no sense consciousness, but there's, um, karmic consciousness. There there, there is sense consciousness for the first three days. After the last breath. Yeah. The eyes might not be able to see the hearing is magnified thousandfold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there are these, there are these things that I read about in the Tibetan book, the dead living and dying. Um, There are five methods for attaining enlightenment without meditation. And um, there are applications that are done to the body. And they all have to do with the sense gates. Sense gates are the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. Um, and so they've all come to me. All these applications have come to me. There's a pill that is ingested or put in, put in the mouth. It's called Dootsie. It's, um, it's, uh, they take um, relics or fingernail or hair or bone from enlightened beings and they grind it up and mix it with some kind of flour. And it wow. can multiply itself. So you actually ingest enlightened energy that's called Dootsie. That's liberation through taste. Um, There's liberation through seeing, seeing an enlightened being uh, right when you're dying. Um, Liberation through hearing is hearing the Tibetan book of the dead read to you. Liberation through remembering is to remember to do the POA practice for yourself, to eject your consciousness out as you're dying. Um, Liberation through touch is, um, there's a, a mandala that is created. It's written um, on paper and retreats, the three-year, three-month, three-day retreats with lamas and monks. And they put this mandala on it and that is worn on the heart space. It's liberation through wearing. And then liberation through touch is a bigger mantra shroud that is placed on the body that one, one can be liberated by just having this garment touch them mm-hmm. at their death. So through the years, all those things have come to me to, for our Sangha to use. Nice. You know, then Sangha and all these Tibetan practices have come. So it's the karmically, um, 
there is there is merit for the karma and conditioning within this being that um, is coming together to be able to receive these. Does that make sense? It's not personal yeah. to Caroline. It just no, is the karma exactly. conditioning ripening. So, um, so you're a bodhisattva in training, and that is what is happening. I have taken the bodhisattva vows. Yes, I think many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this lifetime, I've taken them five times. Yeah. I'm curious if the belief is that in Buddhism is that um, the, there are three days until that last breath, the different type of breath escapes the body. Um, I have always instinctively buried animals as soon as possible. Um, it just felt right to me, you know, not to wait. So I was never aware of that um, three day thing. Um, is there any consequence or that happens if the body is put into the ground before that happens? Like what would happen no, if that? I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Um, um, so the understanding is, is that the body could still sense touch. Um, Definitely hearing, definitely sound, because it's magnified thousandfold. It's my experience with home funerals that it takes about three days for the body to even change in its appearance, unless the person has had chemotherapy. Wow. The, the, the coloring, the way it looks pretty much stays the same until um, three and days. And that's on ice, on dry ice, right? <laughs> three days after the last gross breath. Yeah. And, but it's not a lot of ice. I mean, you're not freezing the body. You don't use a lot of ice. And Jasper, when he died, he stayed here for four days. He looked exactly the same. Wow. There was no odor. There was nothing. I mean, I could tell in his eyeballs themselves, they were sinking. Um, but uh, he stayed around for three days. Interesting. He still here. Yeah, I could tell he was yeah. still here. And you can feel the difference when you walk in the room. You can tell when they've left. And usually when they've left the body, when the, when the consciousness and conditioning and karma has left, the body changes. And How so do you some people, some beings, you remind them, you'd let them know they've died because some some mm. beings are confused. They don't know what has happened. So you tell them you, your body has died. This is where you are. You tell them everything you're doing, just as you would tell somebody if you were moving them, like if you were moving your mom over to bathe her, you'd say, Mom, I'm gonna move you over, so I'm gonna bathe your back. You know, you talk to them just like you would as if they were still here because they are still here. I always thought they were hovering in the air above them. They might um, be. That yeah. I feel like I have sensed that or seen that. Yeah. Like when our cat yeah. passed, she was on the verge. She was found um, hanging from a, in the summer off the fence. So she was oh. kind of near death for a long time anyway. Oh. And she had been doing really poorly. That's why I think she misjudged what she did or something, but um she was hanging by your foot. So it just like detached. Oh. Yeah. So there was no saving her, um, insides without terrible suffering. So, yeah. um, it was time and my, I called my daughter cause that was her special cat. 
and she met us and she's such an amazing, strong young woman. Um, she's always the one to volunteer to be there for, for someone when they pass. So she was like, you know, everyone else is like that. I I was with my son and her boyfriend, my daughter's boyfriend. They're like, Oh gosh, no, I can't (laughs) like, we got to get out of here. She and I, and the cat, we just all held each other. And we, I, we both looked up. We were like, you know, like she's gone. I I see her. Like she was hovering above us. Yeah. I think that animals have less attachment to their bodies. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. You know, because, because it's hard to know. I can't see things like that. I don't have a sense of that. Um, So I just trust the teaching. If they come in and out, you know, if they're able to lift Mm. out and then they come back in just that they can, so they can make sense of what's happening. I tell them what's happening. Your body has died. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You know, this is what you might be experiencing. Know this, know that. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, I've had the tendency to talk to the spirit and not so much the body. So yeah. And so maybe it has been fine and beneficial because the animal leaves sooner and is okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. It's not. And and one good, one thing about this is that even with home funeral training, people will often go, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I did this one. I I didn't do that. You know, it's not to then go beat yourself up for something that you didn't do or you did do that. You wish you hadn't. It's now we know we just go forward. Hmm. Just like I'm a big proponent of the, um, dignity and dying. And, you know, is that part of your, um, your advanced, directives where you're choosing things like, um, you know, do not resuscitate. Um, I have do not resuscitate. I don't have uh, euthanasia on mine. Cause I want to, I want to have the experience of dying. I, I want to experience it. You. Yeah. So is there other people who would experience my death? Um, so let's say somebody said, I don't want to be in pain. If, if, if I can be, have that compassionate choice to like not experience and just leave because I might suffer. How would you, well, this compassionate sedation that I was talking about, the compassionate sedation is um, it's not with the goal to hasten someone's life. The goal is to get them out of pain. Right. Um, So for hastening someone's life, um, it's a personal choice. I don't have, I, I don't, I don't know what that means karmically. Um, usually someone's trying to get away from something, doesn't want to experience something. Mm-hmm. What is it they don't want to experience? If they don't experience it now, are they gonna experience it in another life. Yeah. So if the pain can be, for me, it would be less about pain, more about being a burden. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, what it's only us saying, thinking that. that. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be self. So that's for me to look at. It's selfish of me to think nobody would want to take care of me. And I've said in my directives, you know, if there's no one to take care of me and I don't have the funds, put me in an indigent, indigent uh, nursing home. I don't care. I'll be okay wherever I am. That's up to me, you know, to make be okay with my environment. Yeah. You know? Just as in life, if I can be okay in my environment now, I can be okay in my environment then. That's a great point. <laughs> you know? 
Wow. So that to me is what, what I would ask uh, about hastening death is what is it you don't want to experience? Yeah. You know? If we ultimately have to experience that anyway. I'm, I'm, I, I'm with you. Um, yeah. I just, I think it should be anyone's choice. Yeah. I feel like if, if we can put our animals out of suffering, then why can't we put our human loved ones out of suffering if they choose to, Yeah. Uh, if it's too much suffering for them to endure, mm-hmm. I just think it should be a right. Mm-hmm. Do you, I know you have the, the realm of hungry ghosts, but do you ever have like, um, ghosts do do you have a belief that ghosts can be i'm just thinking of sarah's you know being a medium and sensing ghosts i've seen a ghost of the past loved one i'm curious if that ever comes up and yes they can get stuck um and i've had them glom onto me really so i've had illnesses that arose that were not my illnesses so because i'm around death so much and i'm in funeral homes and i'm at the cemetery and I'm around places where people have committed suicide or, or where, where the bodies are of yeah. folks who commit suicide that um, they can kind of glom on to someone and um, bring energy with them. And so I've had to have help to dispel and send the energy, send the hungry ghosts on. Um, uh, it's called feeding the hungry ghost. And so you set out food, you cover any object that has anything to do with any spiritual practice. You, you cover it up, but they want food. And their, their image of them is that they have a tiny little mouth, a really skinny, skinny neck, a long skinny neck and a big belly that is distended. They can't take in nourishment. Mm. Um, they're craving the Dharma. They're craving sp- something spiritual, but they can't take it in. And, um, so, um, I've had ceremonies that were done for me to help send these, um, hungry ghosts on so they could finish the bardo. Mm. They're stuck in the bardo. They're stuck. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time that would happen is when they're stuck in a bardo. That's my understanding of that. Okay. Yeah. Although it is described that there are other realms that we can't see. So it could be that these realms of existence happen in the realm, the earthly realm, or mm-hmm, a different mm-hmm. realm that we are not aware of. Yeah. Um, I was just talking, they're still here for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it might so, not be. Yeah. How it goes. I mean, to think that this is the only realm there is, is pretty arrogant. <laughs> Right, our earthly realm right. that this is the only thing is really arrogant. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just fascinating to get your perspective yeah. from your standpoint. Um, do you have anything else you want to tell listeners about? This is just so fascinating. I wouldn't know where to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah. We've covered a lot of territory here. Yeah. And I didn't want to have like a set, um, conversation. I I think it's great to let it just go where it goes and Mm -hmm. see what happens. 
Yeah. The actual. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure finding out more about Buddhism and, and death and the Bardo and all this fascinating consciousness and just such a pleasure. Well, I wish um, Jasper now, I want well. to say I'm not an expert on any of that. So um, some of my listeners to this and say she's got it wrong. And I probably do in some way. So.